a middle of the road, right? First off, I don't go into anything thinking I'm going to fail. You look at something, you say, hey, this looks like it's going to work. And you got to go through that thought process and say, okay, why do you think this is going to work? Where, are the, where do you think the landmines are? At the very same time, you can't sit there and worried about being punished if you do fail. You're allowed to fail. That's, you know, that's part of the human condition. You have to put effort into it not to fail. I think some of these like, don't be afraid to fail. And then people are just working on all these kind of crazy things. And I'm like, show me the path to, to value. And they can't, right? But if you can see the path to value and then say, okay, this looks like it's going to work. And then something along the line blows it up. It's okay. It's my job to present the risk of failure to the executive team. They're not going to be interested in hearing like 30% chance of failure. I don't think you should be afraid of failure. You should not punish failure, but you should see the path to value. Well, hey, everyone. It's Jeff Deverter, the host of Clown Talk. And today we start a new series, one that you will hear sporadically throughout the rest of the summer. And it's one where we go inside the innovator's mind, where I speak with a bunch of different C-level executives, usually CTOs, who are helping to transform their organization. And what we wanted to understand more was how do they go about doing this? How do they learn? How do they learn from their people? How do they inspire their folks? How do they communicate with their boards and with their executive teams? Teams. That's exactly what you're going to hear in the series. Now, make sure you stick around after the interview. As always, there's some great information out on the tail end of this podcast. All right. I hope you enjoy this episode of Cloud Talk Inside the Innovator's Mind with Stephen Suknovich of Kurtosis. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Well, hey, you work with a company that uh, that we spend a lot of time with. Uh, with you, why don't you tell us a little bit about Ketosis and and, uh, and what Ketosis does? Right, so, Ketosis supplies marketing platform to the asset managers of the world globally. Uh, hmm. It's a company that originally fa- was founded in um, London. Uh, we now have offices in the United States, Cape Town, South Africa, and London, and we serve some of the biggest uh, banks in the world. Well, that's pretty incredible. And your role there, CTO, um, you've got a pretty decent sized team. You were telling me about it uh, the other day. Why don't you tell me, you know, the size of it and the different you know, personas and people that you look after? Sure. Um, the team is, uh, I would say, around 70 strong. Um, I have engineering, including product engineering, DevOps, QA, uh, Agile facilitation, um, which manages the Agile process. Uh, and database um, and uh, uh, corporate IT. Got it. Uh, all the th- all the things. So you know when you think about um, you know those two primary leaders technical leadership roles that people think of inside of organizations, uh, CIO and CT- CTO and CTO. Um, you know, I've when uh, when I was in that role in, here inside of Rackspace and and others, you know, Gartner has different types of CTOs. Are you you know one that you know is more 
in embedded with the, the developers? Is it more directional and inspirational? How would you define your style as as CTO inside of Cryptosis? Uh, sure. Um, well, first off, I think I think it's important when you're an executive that you have pretty good breath. So I think some of the definitions tend to narrow cast you. Like, are you know, yeah. are you very technical and in with the developers, or are you forward facing? able to talk with the customers about your strategic direction, the business impact of technology. Um, I, I basically do both, right? Okay. I'm a very technical person. Uh, yeah. I certainly have a lot better experts that report to me, uh, but understanding, you know, what's really happening with the platform, where you're really leveraging the value is what's important. And then you got to be able to communicate that not only to the customers, but to the rest of the executive team. That's right. It's very important that they know as well. <laughs> You know, communication is one of those skills that, you know, I think certain types of personas or folks have thought, you know, hey, I'm not a, I'm not a great public speaker. Uh, you know, I'm going to get a job where I can kind of hide in my cubicle. Uh, you know, in this world, you know, that is just out the window. I mean, especially, especially in a technical realm where you've got to take in large, in, in many cases, complex business processes and now talk about how your complex technology solution can help solve that problem. And that is not, it's not for the faint of heart and there's no way to get around that. I, I agree with you. Um, look, I think communication is the key to success in probably almost all endeavors. Yeah. All right. If you're going to make impact, if you think about it, you know, when you, when you're managing people, you become manager of manager, you're leveraging your style and your um, direction across many people and make an, make an impact on whatever you're doing. And how do you do that? You got to communicate. So yep. you're public speaking all the time, whether you're talking to five people or a hundred people, right? And you just got to get comfortable with it. Right? I don't see yeah. a way around it. I agree with you. Yeah. You just have to overcome that. You know, I, um, well, I didn't study a lot of history when I was in school. It was one of those things that kind of later on in life I've realized this is something I really enjoy. And I was listening to this professor many, many years ago, and he was talking about statesmen in, you know, ancient Roman sort of times. And he defined a statesman. And I think that this definition actually applies very well to executives today. He defined a, sta a, a statesman as somebody who could perceive a problem or an opportunity, create a solution or envision a solution that would, that would solve for or capture that opportunity. And then the last piece, which goes to our conversation around communication, and that is build consensus for that solution with all of the stakeholders involved. And I think that's one of those areas that people really miss a lot, especially more junior people in their career. And that is the need to build consensus, basically people who are your ch become a champion of that idea. And when we think about innovation, which really is one of the things we want to focus on here in our conversation today, you know, just having a brilliant idea, it only gets you parts of the way there. And we're going to talk about where your brilliant ideas come from, but I'd love to just kind of talk about consensus a little bit more and maybe how you go about through communication. How do you get people on board with these ideas or how people convince you that it's a good idea? Yeah, the idea certainly doesn't have to come from me, right? But there is an idea and it needs to be expressed. And then consensus is really buy-in, Yep. right? So not everybody likes the particular solution that you might be coming up with, but it still fits into the bigger puzzle of what you're trying to provide in terms of value proposition. So if you're not good at consensus building, you're never going to have that buy-in. And if you don't have that buy-in, are people really working on what you're trying to get done? 
right? All of a <laughs> yeah. sudden, you know, you're, you're pushing the rock up the hill and you're like, why isn't this going smoother? Uh, problems are too complex now for any one person to, you know, totally, you know, master it. You need all the help of your team. You need diverse um, disciplines to be engaged in, in ways that they might not anticipate. Yeah. And to get that leaning forward posture, you know, you got to have the buy-in, which is consensus, right? Yep. And uh, it's the world today. Yeah. And it's one of those things uh, I realized it, oh, uh, what a good, a good couple of decades ago now, I think. And, and it was, we were going through a presidential election cycle and, uh, and I think I was even traveling and uh, one of the candidates, you know, they're, they're showing, they were showing them over the course of multiple days. And I just kept hearing the same message. And I was younger in my career at this point, And I was like being very frustrated with, with, with some folks because, you know, I'd explained it to this person, my, what my idea was and how we could solve this problem. And then I was frustrated that I had to go do it again the next day to, to that person and another person. Uh, and then I watched all these politicians and I thought with a smile on their face and seemingly a song in their heart, they're saying the same thing day after day as they would build consensus for their for their vision, for their you know ideal of America. And uh, it was that lesson at that point a couple of a couple of decades ago that I thought, you know, get over yourself, Jeff, and get used to saying the same thing a whole lot of times as you communicate your vision. Yeah, it, ha- it happens in corporate America. You need to do that. And what's more is you refine the message which is really good because you come to understand the subtlety, the nuance of things. So you, you don't even realize it. it's just a change of a sentence here, a change of a sentence there, especially if you talk from like first principles, like we're talking now, right? You just, yeah. you know, you're just reacting to each other. You start really getting very solid on that and people hear that message and it's a little bit more shaded, a little bit more nuanced and it really, really helps for people to understand it. At the end of the day, you need to be able to communicate that image to someone for them to really engage in the process. And to think that yeah. that happens in just one, you know, one sitting, that's just not the way the human brain works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of what I have to do at Rackspace is presenting our roadmap to customers and pre-customers, I call them. And, uh, and I get invited to do it a lot. Uh, consequently, you know, this deck that I refine month on month on month on month, um, I've gotten very good at delivering it. And so the sales folks will ultimately have lots of, uh, in the account team, you know, nice things to say, you deliver it so well, how do you do it so well? Well, because I have a lot of practice, not just at the deck, but how to actually deliver it. Well, I know what's coming next. I know, you know, where the high points are. I know where the reactions are and I know where I'm driving for reactions. And if it's a quiet slide, well, maybe that slide doesn't need to be in there, but it's practice, practice, practice in, in, on that communication. All right. So it's important, but you got to this role over a series of years. You know, this wasn't your first your first rodeo. So let's let's learn a little bit more about you, Stephen. So first of all, what did you really what did you want to be when you grew up? Who, you know, was it was it a, a technology leader? What what was that what was that initial goal? Well, I, I think like a lot of people, uh, it didn't work out as planned. <laughs> I was uh, I would say I'm formally trained as a chemical engineer. Really? So core engineering, yes. Yep. Uh, and um, people that know me, that they would say, okay, that fits, right? So I really, <laughs> you know, I really like, you know, the engineering process, um, critical thinking, you know, breaking problems down and trying to, trying to understand what you need to do. Of course, this is, you know, more with, uh, I would say, physics and chemistry than, than code. Right. Um, 
but I got into that and then I quickly uh, kind of gravitated toward computer-aided solutions for engineering. Okay. So within a couple of years, you know, that's what I was doing. And I'm like, okay, I, I'm in the wrong line of work here because I can, I, can I can do something a little bit more interesting and better, right? Right. So I said, all right, I'm going to abandon my engineering. I went for chemical engineering, got a master's in that. And then I went to dynamic simulation and real-time process control. So that was where I got the real-time protocols, if you would, yeah. in terms of how computer systems integrate with each other. Uh, and then I finally, you know, I made the jump to Wall Street and I went to a startup, um, Multex.com, which was, you know, pioneering delivery of broker research on Wall Street mm -hmm. at the time, dating okay. myself. Um, I, I, I'm very good friends with the, the CEO, uh, Isaac, Isaac Karev. And when he was interviewing me, he was telling me about how he was moving documents around in real time. And my reaction to that was, well, actually, that's kind of quick. Let me tell you what real time is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I got hired. <laughs> and I got hired. And then, you know, that's it. I was basically, you know, involved with uh, the financial system. And then, of course, FinTech was born. And, you know, I'm going yeah. to bore you with all the steps along the way. Right. Right, right. And uh, so how long have you been with Ketosis? Uh, I've been with Ketosis nine years. Okay. A little while. Uh, did you come in in the CTO role or did you rise to it? <clears throat> I would say I rose to it. So I was brought in as uh, head of product uh, product management at the time. Right. And we kind of converted over to the multi-tenant cloud databases. We were still using cloud software. We just started, uh, but didn't have a, a multi-tenant database. And that's kind of the, the core of our platform now. Um, okay. And then I... I got involved with infrastructure and the scaling of the platform. And then finally I became CTO and, you know, with all the responsibilities there, it's been quite a journey. Um, the success, the success isn't, isn't uh, just me. It's just the team members that I've had yeah. I've managed to, you know, been introduced and hired really, really good people. They brought their, their innovative skills mm -hmm. to bear. And along with that consensus, you know, building approach, I think it's yeah. worked out quite well. That's great. So you, you've kind of helped to tee up something and it's a key point, of course, in innovation. And that is that one, I want to, I want to understand where your ideas come from, how you foster that, how you learn, um, what you learn. Um, but you made the point, you bring great people in who have great ideas as well. And so there's an aspect then to think about how do you, um, how do you foster that? within your team. In fact, let's take, let's take that team approach first in how you, how you foster innovation within the team. Cause I know the platform has continued to evolve uh, greatly over time. It's uh, it, you know, amazing at what it does. And so that, that ultimately comes from great product innovation. Yep. So um, basically it's about sharing all the details with the team. Like for example, my entire team understands the financial model underpinning the platform. They understand no. the concepts of gross margin, COGS. You know, most developers would say, hey, I don't want to know about that. But that's right. what's driving how the system actually works, mm -hmm. right? And then on the, on the customer side, what are our customers actually doing? What's the value proposition, right? In the end of the day, we're reducing work for them. We're allowing that work to occur with, you know, reduced error, reduced effort, uh, and understanding 
the details of it in terms of the marketing is really important. So I'm sharing an awful lot, you know, from customer visits and I bring team members with me, of course, uh, to, you know, okay, where are we draw, driving the value? Where are the cost elements of the platform? And that gives people the breath to start really making, you know, decisions about things and innovating on them, right? So now mm-hmm. they're saying, oh, if we do this or we do that, you know, we can drive the cost down here or we can be faster for the customer over there. So the team end up, you know, being your partner, you know, contributing to how the platform evolves. Right. So, so much to unpack there, but I think I'll start with the fact and applaud the fact that your team knows everything about the, you know, what the customer's doing with the, the, the financial models. They've got to have full exposure to that, to understand what the drivers are with the understanding the drivers. What that does is, and what that means is you're putting them in that driver's seat of knowing the desired business outcome. And isn't that such a separate thing? You know, how much is that is being taught, I wonder, in the code camps of today, in the colleges and universities, uh, people who are going down and learning to be developers, you know, are they teaching them that they really need to understand the entire business that they're involved in and to be able to create code that drives business outcomes, not just code for code's sake, but code for business outcomes? Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you, I haven't seen a lot of evidence of that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and think about what that would require, right? So that would require that um, the curriculum have deep industry experience to solve real problems. And I think in academia, you know, you're you're concerning yourself with the technology of it, which is important, right? Absolutely important. But the application to to use those skills to apply that to to real problems is probably disconnected. I think, you know, go over to the MBA schools, they're solving problems, business problems, but of course they're not connected to like, okay, what, what systems have to be constructed to actually do that. Right. Um, so, uh, it's a kind of a surprise question for me, but I'm going to say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know exactly how to do that, but I don't believe it's happening. Yeah. I think when you comment on it, you know, in the MBA school, like you think of, you know, Harvard Business School, and we read a lot of the the studies that they do. And so I think in some cases, once you get to that level, you're probably starting to see it. But, you know, I think probably, down, especially in the code camps, you're not going to see it. But in, in university where, you know, they've got so much to cover in, you know, four years, how, how do you really do it? It really, um, my son is just going through the the university selecting process, and he's heads off in in August. And one that was uh, one of the big drivers as we looked at where to go was how how seriously do they take the internship process? Because I think that's where they really have the opportunity to um, get out and and apply whatever it is that they're learning into a business context. Yeah, but it's luck of the draw, right? You got to you got to go to a, a company that is willing to actually work this way and impart this to you. You know, you could just show up to a company as an intern and, you know, you're, you're just part of the wheel, so to speak. And, yeah. you know, nobody's actually really concerned about teaching you necessarily this, these sorts of things. Uh, it takes effort. It takes time. I mean, you, you, you know, non-trivial amount of time. Uh, you have to enjoy imparting this kind of information to people, I think, to really get, you know, really get, uh, a material impact. So yeah. a lot of luck involved, I think. 
Right. But it's great advice that we give to any anybody more junior in their career. Understand the business drivers for whatever it is that you're doing. You know, that's going to give you greater insights on how to make an impact into your organization. Well, let's let's turn tables a little now away from the team and and back onto you. So, you know, how, how do you stay current? How do you learn? Um, you know, when do you learn? What are what are how does that work into your schedule? <clears throat> you have to you have to enjoy the subject area that you're in, right? Yeah, that's true. I, I read a tremendous a lot, you know, tremendously a lot, right? Um, I'm interested in it, mm. right? And, and it can be, you know, uh, what's going on with mortgage rates now and why the rates are changing the way they are, what's happening with stocks, you know, because uh, that affects mutual funds, which our platform is, is used to market, all the way from, you know, different database architectures and different, you know, um, architectural solutions to business continuity. So you just keep reading and reading. And and then you talk about it again with your team, right? And you say, hey, this is interesting. I found that's interesting, right? And they'll comment, right? Because the interest levels will be different from here to there, right? And you end up talking about it. And then out of that springs ideas. Hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Right. Um, we, we recently, um, went from separate data centers to just using multi, you know, uh, multiple availability zones, which is typical in AWS. Right. But we floated the notion that, Hey, why do we really need to be so far away geographically when these AZs are, you know, are, you know, tier three and tier four data centers and we have three of them and the chances of them all going down at the same time, we don't need to be 250 miles away. Right. So we floated that with the customers, right? Here's a great example. Here's a business thing. No customer even had a problem. They were doing it themselves in their own, you know, in their own work. Right. And so we just removed that requirement and said, okay, now we're going to use the tooling there in AWS, which is extremely efficient. Yeah. And it, and it just removed costs, removed complexity, um, all from just thinking about it, right? A little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, just quite, and it drives you to questioning, why do we have these, these rules, these stipulations, these guidelines in place? And, you know, ultimately what are the impacts? So you really do have to question everything. I think that's a, uh, a characteristic we see across a lot of different innovators. And that is you just question the status quo. Does it have to be this way? Uh, and, um, uh, or is there just greater opportunity? And, but you're, I want to, you know, kind of fine tune a little bit on your comments as well. And that is when you questioned why the business needed to operate in the way that it did in, in having availability zones and geographically apart and all that sort of thing, but you're ultimately able to achieve that because AWS did a bunch of innovating and created capabilities there for you. Uh, and so a lot of times I'm curious your thoughts on this, you know, you don't even necessarily have to be, um, the most innovative person, but if you can be smart in your subject area, then you see opportunity and that opportunity can present itself in a lot of cases as innovation. And I think your example is a perfect one because AWS has done all of this stuff. It gave you the ability to, to make these decisions. Absolutely. I mean, um, they, they, they provided the services necessary to actually implement the new idea implement or take advantage of the opportunity. There are loads and loads of complexity there. You know, what's the latency between the AZs? How is the replication delays working? You know, what do you do, 
you know, about managing the traffic and making sure that it doesn't cross AZs because it becomes so easy to do that. Yeah. So there's loads of details there. We can talk for hours just on that. Um, but that capability is, is, is being presented by a company and now you can take advantage of that and implement something different, which affects the costs and reliability of, of, a of a platform. In our case, yeah. it, it made a big difference. Right. How much does failure fit into your innovation plan? In other words, some people are really afraid of it. Some people embrace it. Um, and there are, there are varying, you know, degrees in between. Um, and is it something that you think about at the front side? Uh, you know, how do you do how, what kind of boundaries do you put around failure? How quickly, how much, how much leash do you give it? You and your team? Well, well, first off, I, I think I'm middle of the road, right? First off, I don't go into anything thinking I'm going to fail. You know, <laughs> Why I, would you start? I, <laughs> I mean, you look at something, you say, hey, this looks like it's going to work. And you got to go through that thought process and say, okay, why do you think this is going to work? Where, where do you think the landmines are? At the very same time, you can't sit there and worried about, you know, being punished if you do fail. Yeah. Right? So you, you're allowed to fail. That's, you know, that's part of the human condition. Yeah. But, you know, you have to put effort into it not to fail. I think some of these like, don't be afraid to fail. And then people are just working on all these kind of crazy things. And I'm like, show me the path to, to value. And they can't. And I'm yeah. like, well, you're going to fail in the end because you don't even know what the value is. Yeah. Right. But if you can see the path to value and then say, OK, this looks like it's going to work. And then something along the line blows it up. It's OK. I mean, yeah. I, I don't I certainly don't uh, get upset about that or or nothing. I would say it's my job to present the risk of failure to the executive team and say, where, you know, what are the chances that something you know might not work out? But they're not going to they're not going to be interested in hearing like 30 percent chance of failure. Right? Right. Why are you doing it? There's other things to work on. So I'm a middle of the road guy. Right. I, yeah. I don't think you should be afraid of failure. You should not punish failure. But you should see the path to value. You or know, you shouldn't be started you, on it in the first place. Time in it. Right. <laughs> it's exactly right. Um, and, uh, you know, because there's some things you just can't see until you get down into the trenches where you realize, oh, you know, there is a latency issue. There is a, oh, you can't create that rule across AZs. That would be a problem. Um, and that becomes a hard stop. Something along the lines could be a hard stop that you just wouldn't have seen. But you would have, you'd have counted the cost at the front side. You know, um, what's the opportunity? Is there a path to value? And what is that value? Um, what's the, what happens if I don't do anything? Oh, well, there's that big pile of value over there. I want to go chase that big pile of value. And then, uh, you know, what happens if, if it, something goes bump in the night along the way and uh, how much does it hurt? So, you know, I think those uh, are it, things. It, that really innovation is risky, right? If you're not innovating, right, I don't think you can hold on to your job, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, you're in, if you're in my seat, you need to be innovating, right? So that's inherently risky and you got to manage it. That's right. You have to got to you got to place the right bets. They've got to be right. very well educated bets. Yeah. Huh. All right. So, um, and, and I assume that just as we've discussed it here, that's sort of how you're communicating to your team. I guess you, you're teaching them along the way. How do you teach them along the way? How to, how to not only build that value, but build consensus again to chase that idea? I, I, quite frankly, I'm not teaching them anything, right? I'm, <laughs> I, I think I'm modeling, I'm modeling behavior. 
Okay. Right. I'm modeling that it's okay to take risks. It's okay to speak your mind. It's okay, you know, to be wrong. Um, there's a lot of smart guys on my team and they're teaching me about mm-hmm. stuff all the time. Um, so if there's a teaching thing there, I think it's kind of already happened in terms of the, the culture that's in place now. Yeah. And really it's about modeling behavior, right? And when you have problems and when people are upset, you kind of bring your experience to bear and say, Hey, it's okay. Right. We couldn't have foresaw this or, you know, it, it could be not okay. And then you're actually saying that as well. Right. And, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, you needed to put more effort here. You needed to do this. You need to do that. Why don't you go back and address that? So um, I'm not trying to say it's all just kumbaya, right? Sometimes you have to deliver some hard, hard messages, but the way you behave is really important in terms of the way the team feels the risk that they can take. Yeah. So it goes down to, it comes back to something we talked about a little bit, you know, in advance of this, when we were getting ready and there's an element of being cautious and then there's an element of being courageous. You know, I think that's where that, do you take the risk that's available to you in, in that innovation uh, and then yep. the balancing, balancing of that. Yep. And, and you're for a large, for a large part of that, your experience comes to bear after a while. You, you kind of get better at it. The more experience yeah. you have. Right. Yeah. You can start to see around the corner a little bit better. You know, when somebody's, you know, when there's smoke and mirrors involved, when somebody brings something to you, but that's, that's also the fun part too, because you, you've learned to see around the corners a little bit more than, than somebody more junior. And then when they come to you with, you know, this, this next greatest idea or capability allows you to then kind of coach them through the process or where, where the, where the potholes could be down that road uh, if they were to chase it without doing some more research or uh, whatnot. Um, so when you think about the folks that are on your team, obviously they have to have the right technical acumen to, to do what they do for whatever role they're coming into. But what are the types of personalities that you find work well on the team or the work well in your leadership style? Um, you know, are there any consistencies that you think about there in, um, uh, on the team? Um, well, we definitely have a broad range of personalities for sure. Um, I, I think I would say there's one personality I would avoid is what I call people with the hero complex, mm. right? Yep. So uh, people that feel the need that they need to solve the problem and take the glory for it. Yeah. That's a hard thing that, to, to see in the beginning, but it, it comes out quickly, right? So it, I think that's the exact opposite of what we've been talking about, right? Yeah, you, wanna, you want to elicit help. You want people to be jazzed about what you're doing. And the more people that are jazzed and are interested in helping just because they like it, the more success you're going to have. Yeah. Right. And I don't think it matters that you're like, you know, in the old vernacular, A type or B type or, you know, uh, you know, you're quiet, more reserved, more thoughtful, or you're kind of like a risk taker or a bold, you know, kind of bold mover. Yeah. I think that balances out when everybody's talking. So I think you need that mixture. Yeah. But some some personality types are are not helpful. And mm-hmm. the hero complex is, is one of them. I think it's a really good point, and it it, it caused me to remember um, one of the things that 
uh, one of our here at Rackspace, one of our earlier CEOs, uh, Landon Napier, used to say when he would talk about rackers, and uh, and and a common trait that he observed over the organization that he was leading at the time and that made rackers unique is rackers were he would call them this crazy group of people who would come to work and volunteer their best every day. Because we all will go to work. We'll all go, you know, sit in a chair for eight hours so that we can get the paycheck to do the things that are important to us in life. But when we love what we're doing and when we're there to support the team with a customer focus, well, then that starts to look a whole lot like volunteering the very best that we could do for, for our team. And the hero is somebody who's there to serve himself and not the team. Yep, exactly right. So it's it's really having a... A servant, that's a great, you know, one of the philosophies, and I think you tripped right on it, right? It's having the desire to serve your yeah. customer, your coworkers, you know, your your supervisor, or, or even a stranger, Yeah. right? You don't even know anything about it. If you, if, if you don't think anything about serving, you know, I think you will go far, right? Because yeah. you'll have loads of people to help you when you fall down, and we all fall down. We do. Yeah, uh, yeah, the potholes are out there. We all step in them from time to time, or they step on us. <laughs> there's no getting getting away from it. Hey, uh, random question: What's a highlight of your day? What do you enjoy the most about your day? Um, I think learning something new, right? Uh, just in regular regular conversation. Yeah, you know, trip over some new idea that I haven't thought about, or a new way of looking at something, and that gets me excited. So it. it it's something that happens nearly every day for me. And it's something right. I get enjoyment at it, which is why I probably I've stayed at this. Right. Right. Well, Stephen, this has been super interesting. I really do appreciate you taking some time out of your crazy busy schedule as you, uh, you serve your customers and your employees. So thanks so much for that. Thank you. I enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. See, I told you it was going to be painless. <laughs> Pretty good. All right. Well, one last question, though. I'm going to ask you, what tech are you most excited about that is going to make an amazing impact in your professional career? Um, I'm very, I'm very, very interested in distributed systems, in um, distributed data, um, especially in the analytics, you know, to be able to, you know, really make sense of data and have it drive business value. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of innovation out there uh, to do that. Um, I don't think that that connection is really there for most businesses. They mm. talk about it, right? But like, how do I get how do I get the most information out of the data that I have and turn it around? Like the, I think the ad industry has developed this into a fine art form, uh, but the rest of us, I'm not sure is, is all there. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but I would like to I would like to really be able to utilize that kind of technology and feed, you know, advanced insight into our customers. Yeah. And that's very important on a marketing platform. So we're not doing that today. Um, so I'm always looking at that and always interested in it. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Well, 
thank you, Stephen, for being on our first episode of Inside the Innovator's Mind. Really appreciate your insights. Okay, folks, time for me to remind you again of something that's really going to help your own innovation, and that's the Solve Conference coming up on August 3rd and 4th. Now, the 3rd is a pre-conference day, lots of education there. And on the 4th, well, we brought some really impactful speakers like Bernard Marr. Now, Bernard has got an incredible book out around 26 tech innovations that are challenging and changing business today. Now, his session is going to deal with a smaller subset of those that are having the most impact. That session, like all of the others, are free of charge. Just head over to rackspace.com slash solve slash conference to sign up for free. All right, before I let you go, once again, thank you to Dell Technologies for sponsoring the Solve program here at Rackspace. All right, folks, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of Cloud Talk. Next week, we have another episode on Inside the Innovator's Mind with a CISO who's going to talk about how he brings innovation to the security world. It's a fascinating conversation, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. And you know, the easiest way to make sure that it shows up on your device is to go ahead and subscribe if you haven't done that already. And if you have subscribed, Maybe you could leave us a review. One of those five-star ones would be great. And maybe even tell a friend about Cloud Talk. We'd love to get the word out. All right, folks. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week. This is Jeff DeVerter for Cloud Talk.